Well, it is about that time of the evening. It is 7 o'clock. That means it is time for our midweek Bible study, virtual online Bible study. Let me welcome you uh, as you are streaming this on your smartphone or tablet or computer in your home or in your car. Let me welcome you to the Santee Circle Church of God midweek Bible study here on Wednesday night, May the 12th, 2021. We are so honored and privileged that you are watching us live right now. If you're streaming this at a later date than the timestamp of May the 12th at 7 p.m., and this is uh, would obviously be live to you a little bit different later, uh, but let us say to you if you stream this later than that date, we also welcome you and thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, let me also encourage you, if you'd like to support the ministry of Santee Circle Church of God, you can do so by going to tithe, T-I-T-H-E dot L-Y, and you can uh, search for Santee Circle Church of God, and you can give uh, online uh, to that uh, ministry, uh, an online ministry uh, there at the church through online giving. Uh, in fact, uh, there is a direct link uh, that you can click on uh, there and, and give uh, to that. So just search Tithe L-Y and look for Santee Circle C-O-G. Uh, also, the website should be up and running here in the next couple of days or the next week. You would be able to give also online through the website, right on our website. Uh, and once that's up and running, uh, we'll give you more information about that. We have quite a few lists of people to pray for tonight. Sister Bonnie Gunn is still battling cancer. Her mother, Sister Laura Mae Skipper, is homebound. Sister Faye Hupp is in the nursing home. Pray for our church. Pray for those that are sick. There's some battling sinus infections and some that are just battling health concerns. Also pray for our services this weekend. Uh, and uh, let's uh, open up with a word of prayer again. We'll begin reading in Psalms 119 in the 161st verse uh, tonight, but I want to open in prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, mercy, and grace. We thank you you're a very present help in time of trouble. Lord, I pray for Bonnie tonight, and I pray you would give her strength in her body. I pray for Sister Laura Mae Skipper. You would be with her in her home right now. God, I pray, uh, Lord, for uh, Lord Sister Faye Huff, who is in the nursing home today. I pray for her medical team and those that are around the clock taking care of her. Lord, I pray for those that are sick, battling sinus infections and other things. I pray for our church people. Lord, there's a lot of uh, things going on and problems and situations that some of our church folks are, are uh, facing today. I pray for them. I pray for our services this weekend. God, you would orchestrate it. Lord, as we break the bread of life tonight, I pray you would hide me behind the cross and you take a coal from the altars of heaven and anoint this, list, this vessel in lips of clay that I can proclaim and articulate the oracles of God's word to the best of my ability. God, help me not to be seen, but you to be glorified in this subject matter tonight and in this Bible study. Go with us and guide us in Christ's precious and holy name. We pray and all God's children together said, Amen and Amen. So tonight I want to talk to you just for a moment uh, on this subject matter. Uh, of uh, what it means to uh, be a part of studying the Word of the Lord. Uh, I shared with you uh, uh, not too long ago, just a, uh, a couple weeks uh, ago, uh, when we started talking about this idea of 
studying the word of the Lord and falling in the wo- love with the word of the Lord. This all centers uh, around uh, this chapter in Psalms 119. Psalms 119. As I began to think of the message tonight, I began to think what subject title or, or what message would I want to convey? And I began to think, and I felt like that the best way I could convey it is this way, that there is a purpose of prolonged problems. The purpose of prolonged problems. You see, we live in a day and an hour where the world is getting worse by the day, by the moment, in fact. You know, we're battling right now with a uh, gas uh, shortage due to a cyber attack or a cyber high, uh, uh, attack and uh, on a gas uh, pipeline. And because of that, gas prices are going to spike. And uh, just in uh, my uh, where my family lives uh, in Orangeburg, South Carolina, there was a lot that flooded immediately yesterday and uh, started buying gas and, and ended up many of the uh, gas stations in Orangeburg running out of gas because people were frantically trying to get it before the price surge and the, the uh, gas would be a shortage on gas and things like that. And people were concerned. The world is getting crazy by the day. We still uh, are still feeling the effects, if you will, uh, of COVID-19. Though we are well over a year in the investments of COVID-19, the, though that some churches have been back in church for over a year, and, and, and some have not uh, even got back in churches yet, but we, we see that, that even with, with there being a year and a half or so since COVID-19 crippled our nation and slowed us down immensely, we're still dealing with the effects of wearing mask mandates. We still are dealing with the effects of uh, uh, those that uh, are, are deciding whether or not they want to take the vaccine or not. We still are dealing with the uh, rise in hospitalizations, of, and not so much just from COVID, but just people being sick in general. There are people that are getting pneumonia. There are people still battling infectious diseases. And, and we still are living in a world plagued with, and no pun intended, but, but plagued with prolonged problems. You know, the psalmist David said in in Psalms chapter 3, he said, Many are they that increase that trouble me, and many are they that uh, rise up against me, and many of them that say of my soul, there's no help for him in God. See, even the psalmist, we talked about it uh, in the last couple weeks, in, in last week's lesson and a couple weeks before, we talked about how the psalmist began to unfurl and, and un- unravel and began to see, and we began to see in his writings how he had a problem consistently facing him, this psalm of David. We know that David was faced with many problems. He ran for he he was uh, ushered into the courtroom of of Saul to play music to soothe his vexing spirits. But Saul got one mad at him one day, and he took a javelin and he thrust it towards David and barely missed David from pinning him to the wall. And he got so mad, David had to run away and flee because Saul was after him. And many times. While he was in the cave of Adullam and other places, David would have these confrontations with Saul and said, I had opportunities to kill you, but I didn't. And, and David then would eventually become king, and his own son would revolt and rebel and rise up, Absalom, and, and overtake the throne of his father David for a season. And David would flee to Hebron, and he would try to hide out there for a season of time to avoid the uh, wicked acts of his own son, Absalom. 
So we know the psalmist, when he talks about this idea of prolonged problems, if anybody in the Bible outside of Job understood the, the concept or the idea of prolonged problems, it also could have been the psalmist David. We know Job faced prolonged problems. He lost his children. He lost his cattle. He lost his health. Job was faced with an immense attack from the devil. And it was so long and so intense that his wife got to the point. She said, honey, it would be better for you to just curse God and die. You're so miserable. He felt prolonged problems. But we know that Psalms 119, if you know your biblical uh, history, we know that Psalms 119 is, in fact, the longest chapter in the Word of God. We have walked through the last few weeks and months, we have walked through this psalm exegetically, line by line, verse by verse. We have exegetically exegeted this passage to the point we studied the intent of God's Word straight from the pages of Scripture. We have studied how the psalmist has encountered suffering in his own life, yet he still trusts the promises of God. You see, I think the overall theme, if we were to put a theme on the book of Psalms 119, I think you could sum it up as this, is that this fallen world wants to destroy us, but God wants to delight us. The world wants to cripple you. The world wants to destroy you. The world wants to take over you. The world wants to cripple you. The world wants to harm you. But God wants to delight in you. The Bible said, delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. The Bible says that the, how sweetly the Spirit of the Lord, that, that God sings songs over His children. While the world's trying to destroy you, God's trying to give you life so that you can have it more abundantly. While the world's trying to pronounce curses on you, God's trying to pronounce blessings on you. While the world's trying to sing you a funeral dirge of destruction, God's trying to sweet, sing you a sweet melodious sonnet about how you can overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. And one day we will soon be standing before His throne and we can simply say before Him, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty and sing songs like it got sweeter and it gets sweeter as the days go by and we can stand before Him and say, Oh, I want to see Him. Look upon His face. Dare to sing forever of His saving grace. All those streets of glory let me lift my voice. Cares all past home at last forever to rejoice. I want you to know today that God still delights in His people. Stanza after stanza we have discussed. The psalmist David wrote 22 stanzas with 8 verses in each stanza, which is a total of 176 verses. They all, all of these 22 stanzas have a correlation or a or a, uh, a Hebrew, uh, one of the Hebrew alphabet letters or alphabet uh, signs or sign, uh, signatures under each uh, over each stanza. In fact, the stanzas that we are on today is uh, uh, that of the Shin and also of the Tao, the Shin and the Tao. But I want you to know that while we have studied and each Hebraic letter uh, corresponds with the eight verses underneath it. We have walked stanza by stanza. And we have learned the psalmist has been so eloquent in demonstrating how heavenly promises can carry one 
through worldly problems. Listen to this pastor carefully. We have studied Psalms 119 and the psalmist has so eloquently pointed out that heavenly promises can carry us through worldly problems. If you are a note taker, you should write that down. Heavenly promises will carry me through worldly problems. That's tweetable right there. Because what we have to understand is that we have a hope, H-O-P-E, a hope that lies within us. In fact, 1 Peter 3 and 15 says, always be ready to give a defense or an answer to the hope that lies within you. On our property and on our campus, we have created the acronym just for hope. We, when, when COVID first broke out, we wanted to be a church that offered hope to people. We wanted people to feel like God had a plan and God could do something great and mighty in their life. And so we decided to coin this or we prayed about it and felt like the Lord gave us this acronym for hope. Hold on. Pandemics in. Now, the pandemic might still be around to a certain degree, and maybe God is going to use uh, the idea of vaccinations to help slow its spread. I don't know how God's going to do it, but I know He who began a good work in me is faithful to complete it until the very end, for I have plans for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. I'm here to tell you, by the grace of God standing before you under this, behind this sacred lectern, unworthy, to be behind this sacred lecture that you can hold on pandemics will end you can hold on God's promises are eternal you can hold on pain will end we can still have hope in Jesus Christ so heavenly promises will carry us through worldly problems you see every believer in every generation can understand and identify with the experiences that the psalmist has felt we all have faced problems We've all dealt with problems. In fact, in these final verses, the psalmist poetically describes the same truth that Paul and Barnabas understood along with the first century Christians. In fact, according to Luke, Luke, who is the author of Acts, of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, Luke, describing Paul and Barnabas and the early church, said it like this. It said, they strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying through many tribulations. That word tribulations could also be translated problems. Through many tribulations or problems, we must enter the kingdom of God. Meaning we are going, if we are children of God, and we profess the name of Jesus, and we strive to be more like Jesus, if we live long enough, we will face problems in this world. Even if you don't trust the Lord. You're going to face problems. Now, we know a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand, so the enemy may not attack you as hard. But if you live long enough, you're going to face problems. You are. So we have to understand that through many tribulations, we will enter the kingdom of God. God has a purpose for every problem he allows us to face. Sometimes these purposes can last for a couple hours. Maybe a couple days. Some of these purposeful problems can happen for a couple, maybe months. It may even happen for many years. But God still has a purpose. I have a plan for you, declares the Lord. He who began a good work is faithful to complete it. God has a purpose. The Bible says that 
He is in control of all things. You see, you have to understand that each one of us will face problems that will last our entire lives. So we have to understand what is the purpose of prolonged problems. Why do we face prolonged problems? What is the purposes of prolonged problems? Well, I believe, church, that the purpose of prolonged problems, number one, directs us to God's Word. It will help navigate us towards the Word of God. In fact, let's read the Word of the Lord together tonight, shall we? Princes have persecuted me without a cause. Meaning, there's people higher up than me on the food chain. Royal figures. They've persecuted me. Talking about Saul and others. There are people in Absalom. There are people who have persecuted me and they had no right. I did nothing wrong. Have you ever been there where you got falsely accused? Or took the brunt of something and it wasn't even your fault? I've often said to people, a lot of times the people that we love the most is the one we take out our frustrations on the most. They're not even the ones that's the object of our frustration, yet they get the brunt of our wrath. Princes have persecuted me without cause. But my heart standeth in awe or reverence and humbleness of thy word. I rejoice. I am exceedingly glad. That's what that word rejoice means, exceedingly glad. I will rejoice, be exceedingly glad. I will be happy at thy word like the one that findeth great spoil or bounty. I hate and abhor lying. But your law, we talked about it at the beginning of this study, that the word law, commandments, statutes, word can all be interchangeable. But thy law I, I do love. Meaning he is saying, but your word I love. Your, your commandments I love. Studying the word of the Lord. He is saying, I hate liars. I don't know about you, but I don't like them either. He said, I hate and, and hate's a strong word. He said, I hate and I abhor lying. But the word of the Lord, the Bible, the words of scripture, the commandments of God that I love. Seven times a day. Do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments? Also word or commandments or statutes. Notice that, that, that term seven times. That number seven is the biblical numerology for divine completion. So he's saying every day I make sure I complete my day. Somewhere throughout the day I'm going to ensure I complete the day. Praising you for your judgments. Great peace have they which love your word. And nothing shall offend them. Lord, I have hope for your salvation and done by your commandments. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, or word, and I love them exceedingly. I have kept thy precepts and thy testimonies, for all my ways are before thee. God directs the problem excuse me, the purpose of prolonged problems, first and foremost, is it directs our problems, will direct us straight into God's Word. See, oftentimes when we have a problem, we'll start looking for answers. And can I tell you today that more often than not, in the day and hour we live in, there are more people today than ever before trying to make sense of what's going on crazy in this world. 
They're trying to make sense and trying to understand. God, give us some answers. Can I tell you we got one? That we have a problem, that prolonged problem, that proverbial thorn in the flesh, the Apostle Paul talked about, will drive us to search out and do one of two things. It will either drive us toward the Lord, or it will make us really make a tough decision and be driven away from the Lord. But not be lukewarm. Be either hot or cold. But a lot of times when people get into problems and have issues, that's when they want to come to church. That's when they want to have the pastor pray for them. That's when they want the Sunday school teachers to, to be on their side and teach a lesson that's going to make them feel good, feel better. That's when they want the Lord. But when life's great, they don't want the Lord. But can I tell you, prolonged problems, they will drive us right to the word of the Lord. This is our substance. This is the manna from heaven. This is the bread of life. This is the food of the soul. This is what drives our spiritual appetite. And also gives us the answers that we're looking for. The psalmist began by saying, The princes persecute me without cause, but my heart has stand in awe of your words. You see, children oftentimes will protest to their parents, especially those with siblings. They will say to their, their moms and dads when uh, somebody gets to do something they don't get to do, they'll say the following phrase. Well, that's just not fair. That's not fair. Then the parent normally will come up with some witty sort of concession to appease that demonstration. And so in their attempts to, uh, in the concession to appease that demonstration, parents oftentimes will say something like, you know, life's not fair. Or I'm not their parent. Or something of that nature. I heard at one time of a father who came up with a real crafty solution to that. Every time his children would say to him, that's not fair. He would raise his eyebrows and he'd say, I am so sorry to hear that. Because the fair only comes in town once a year. And I haven't seen any elephants in town today. See, he was talking about that Barnum and Bailey circus kind of fair. But when his boys would say, that's not fair. He'd say, you're right. I'm so sorry. That isn't the fair. The fair only comes around one time a year, and I haven't seen any elephants this year. You see, eventually, we understand what he's saying, if we think about it long enough. He's actually teaching his children the truth of life is rarely fair and just. In fact, sometimes life deals us unfair hands. Hands we didn't intend to have. We get dealt hands we didn't intend to have to deal with. But we have to play the cards life gives us. Life doesn't always give us a fair shake. But we have the choices to make. The psalmist says, The fallen world persecutes people without cause. Our hearts should rejoice at the hearing of God's word, he continues. You see, he continues by saying, We should long for the righteous commandments of God. But we must understand we cannot produce that on our own. We can't do that on our own. We're, our, our righteousness is filthy rags before the Lord. We, we can't replicate that. We can't. But Romans 1 and 28 tells us this. It tells us why we can't replicate that. Without God's help, we can't fall in love with his words and precepts. 
Because our inerrant, our inerrant nature is to be wicked and evil and vile and sinful from the start of life. You don't teach kids how to be bad. You don't teach kids how to sin. You don't teach kids how to lie. Stuff like that comes natural. You have to correct that behavior. So Romans 1.28 tells us the state we're in when we don't have the Lord. And when they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. Some translations will say a reprobate mind. God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which were no longer considered proper. So what he's really saying is eventually God got to the point that he just let them do things their own way. But that's dangerous. Because our way will lead to destruction. It will lead to tragedy and chaos. Our way will lead to problems. Our way will be catastrophic at best. You see that word translated there is used to, to describe broken scales that are unable to accurately measure things. You see, our fallen minds are like broken scales. We don't understand how to apply truth unless we know the giver of truth. This is truth. Moral absolute truth is found right here. This is truth. You see, the, the result is a world filled with all manners of selfishness envy and strife and murder and deceit and every evil and vile thing. You see, the world will be filled with prolonged problems. As long as God allows us to live in this fallen world with billions and billions and billions of fallen minds, prolonged problems will abound. But we do have hope. The psalmist gives us hope in Psalms 119, 166. He says, Lord, I hope for your salvation, and I do your commandments. We do not put our hope, as I said earlier, in this world. You put your hope in the things of this world, you will be left holding a bag full of sand. You will be left miserable. The most miserable you could possibly be is putting your faith and trust in a fallen, sin-sickened world. But we can put our hope in the coming salvation of the Lord. We're not talking about just the day you physically get saved. But the day God comes down and redeems us and radically saves us from this world and teleports us to glory. That's the hope we can hold on to. I hope I can have a hope that is steadfast and sure. I can place my hope on the fact that he's coming again to take me out of this place. That's where my hope is. So we also have to understand that not only does the word, uh, the, problem, the, pro, the, the purpose of prolonged problems drive us or direct us to God's word, it also will perfect us for God's will. It will perfect us for God's will. You see, God uses problems to train discipline us so that we can accomplish good works. Problems help us get on track. It, it's like an athlete training. He puts his body through rigorous uh, uh, activities. He stretches it, 
by making his heart rate go up and trying to increase his stamina and, and ability to run for longer periods of time. Problems are like a training ground or a proving ground. It's tough. It's hard. It's grueling. But we have to go through it because it will discipline us to accomplish a greater work. We call that in the church world, I don't know what uh, your, your uh, definition is, but in the Pentecostal circles, we call this training or this accomplishment the process of sanctification. Now, you don't hear a lot of people preach on that no more. The act of being set apart or being separated or set apart for the master's use. The reason is most people don't want to talk about it. They don't talk about being sanctified. Because most people don't want to live a sanctified life because a sanctified life means I have to be set apart and I have to be different and i got to walk different, talk different, live different. Most people don't want to do that. Hello, preacher. That's good preaching. But I want us to look at the scriptures tonight about how it perfects us. Verse 169. Let my cry come before thee, O Lord. Give me understanding of thy word. Let my supplication come before thee. Deliver me according to thy word. My lips shall utter praise when thou hast taught me thy statutes. My tongue shall speak thy word, for all the commandments are righteousness. Let thine hand help me, for I have chosen thy precepts. The psalmist continues to go on in the last Three verses, he said, I long for the salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. My soul shall live, it shall praise you, your judgments will help me. In Psalms 176, he said, I have gone astray at times like a lost sheep. Seek your servant out, for I did not forget your commandments. See, the word of the Lord, the problems that we face, will not only direct us to the word of the Lord, but it will help perfect us to be ready and set apart for the master's use to perfect the will of God in our lives. I quoted to you Jeremiah 29, 11 earlier. For I have plans for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in the future. That scripture alone encourages us to let us know God's got a plan. Amen? God's got a plan. So I want to talk just briefly about this process of sanctification. I want to talk about five ways. Five ways God sanctifies us through problems. How does God sanctify us through problems? Five ways God sanctifies us through problems. Problem, the, the first point is problems teach us our limitations. Problems will teach us our limitations. In Psalms 119, 169, he said, Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. The Bible tells God's people to think carefully about what they believe and how they are to live and how they are to engage. God used prolonged problems to keep people humble, which is a very good thing. In fact, in James 4 and 10, the Bible says this, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Or humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, one translation says. So humility is directly connected to not only availability, but the probability of you being able to walk in the perfect will of God. Humility will literally set you up for the promotion of the perfect will of God. 
You see, the word pride is found in Scripture. Pride goes before destruction, the Holy Spirit before the fall. Pride will boast the door of our heart, will boast door, excuse me, pride will bar the doors of our heart because it will push us away from the presence of the Lord. But humility is a key that unlocks the door and gives God access to inside. Though the problem may persist in our lives, we'll serve a God that will prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies, and our cup will surely runneth over, and surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives, because humility is the key that unlocks the door that says, I've got a problem, but i got a God who's a problem solver and can take it from here. So we know that problems teach us our limitations. We also can understand, secondly, that problems inspire us to praise the Lord. Problems can help us understand why we are to praise the Lord. Because for every problem we overcome, that gives us more of a right and more ammunition against the devil and gives us more reason to worship and magnify and glorify and uplift and praise and honor the name of Jesus Christ. In fact, we see the result of problems that humble us. Psalms 119, 171, and 172 said, My lips will forever pour out praise, for teach me, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. When God brings us through a circumstance that's beyond our capacity, he is the only one who should get the credit for it. So when we come out of problems and we overcome them, we know it's only by the empowerment and grace of God. That dunamis power, dynamite power, the power of the Holy Spirit. In Luke 18.42, the Bible describes a man who was blind. Jesus said to this blind man in Luke 18, he said, What is it that you'd have me do for you? You know, I thought about that before. That's a pretty powerful statement. Jesus is literally opening up the door for this man to ask pretty much for anything. He said, sir, what do you want me to do? I wonder, does the Santee Circle Church of God want to hear Jesus in the middle of a service on a Sunday morning, a Wednesday night, or just in our hearts, would we as a body of Christ like to hear the Lord say to us because he is faithful and just, would we like to hear God come by and just say, Santee Circle Church of God, what is it you would want me to do for you? And if we heard that, what would our response be? Would it be we want more money? Would it be we want a new sanctuary? Would we be asking God to numerically grow us? Or would we start asking God for more things like more souls added to the kingdom of God, more salvations in our services, more Holy Spirit baptism and filled with the Holy Ghost? Would we, if Jesus asked us that question, what would our answer be? But the blind man said, Jesus, I want to be able to see. Jesus healed him. But the Bible said as soon as Jesus healed him, the man began to glorify God. And when everybody else saw the man was healed, and everybody else saw the man was shouting and praising the Lord, they began to praise God. Can I tell you your praise can have impact on the next generation your praise can have direct impact 
on other people because they don't know the the value or the oil in your alabaster box. But but can I tell you, they might be timid and shy, but when they see someone else come and say, oh, I thank you, I glorify, magnify the name of Jesus, it might get them out of their comfort zone. They might throw their hands up in total surrender. They might shout unto God with the voice of triumph and shout unto God with the voice of praise. They might rise up and be counted worthy of the call. They might want to give God praise to your praise can have direct implications on other people's response to the word of the Lord. Can I also tell you that we should not be afraid to praise because of fear of what other people will think. But we should come and enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. How say this is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I want you to know today we should praise him in the morning, praise him in the evening, praise him in the afternoon. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I want us to know that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above that which my mind can think or comprehend according to his riches in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to know today we should praise the Lord. He praised the Lord. You see, God leads each of us into circumstances that we cannot handle with our own power and ability. He wants us to show everyone while everyone is watching that he is faithful to deliver us. We can definitely see that in the story of Lazarus. Everybody goes to the tomb where Lazarus is laying. They're dead. He's dead. But Jesus stands before the the, uh, sepulcher of, of Lazarus, that tomb. The place that was a memory of what used to be, a life that used to be here. A brother that used to be here. A friend that used to be here. That tombstone, that grave plot, that casket representation, that cemetery represented death and agony. Jesus stood right there. The resurrection and the life, the giver of all life, stood in the middle of dead things. And he prayed this prayer. God, I don't want you to do it basically for me. But I want you to do what's about to take place because I want it to be for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. What Jesus is saying is, God, I just want you to do it to put on notice all these people around me. You are God and God alone and you sent me here to accomplish a task. So Jesus said, God, I'm here to just do what only you can do and let's do it together. That's what it was all about. You see... The prophet Ezekiel said the same thing. He stood in that valley of dead, dry bones. The same intent. He was standing there in the middle of dead things. And God said, can these bones live again? And Ezekiel said, Lord, only you know. But what, but what the, the meat of it is, is the, when Ezekiel prophesied, the Bible said that the bones became back together and sinews, which is the flesh, and the muscles began to grow and regenerate on the bones. Because here's the reality of it is, God can stand in the middle of dead things and resurrect it back to life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet still can he live. I want you to know in the middle of your broken marriage, in the middle of your horrible job, in the middle of your your your, de- your dark and dying and desolate situations, in the middle of your 
wilderness experiences, in the middle of your tragedy, in the middle of your issues, in the middle of all the things going on, what seems like it could be dead and dying and decaying all around you, the resurrection in life can be on your side. We also know that problems display the power of God to us. The psalmist in 173 and 174 said, Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord. Your law is my delight. Perhaps there is no one in the Bible whose persona that personifies this verse better than Gideon. Lord, help me when I don't know what to do. You know Gideon, he was the weakest man in the weakest family in one of the weakest tribes of Israel. And God kept windling down his army, and Gideon finally just said, Lord, I don't know how we're going to do this. Because he couldn't do it in his own strength, or the strength of his small army. But when he put his weaknesses into the hand of a powerful God, he had a great victory. Paul tells the believers at the church of Corinth, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Paul said he could boast of his weakness because the promise God gave him. Because in 2 Corinthians 12 and 9 he said, And God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfected in your weaknesses. We also know problems show us God's perspective. Psalms 119 175 said, Let my soul live and praise you. The psalmist did not ask God for riches or achievements or notoriety or popularity or good help. He asked for one thing. God, let me live a life that will glorify you. Think about some of the people in the Old Testament who had done that. Noah had worked for decades before the rain came. He and his family lived in an ark for over a year while the waters had to abate from the face of the earth. Abraham and Sarah followed God to the point they left their families packed up their belongings and their homeland, traveled to a foreign country, did not have a promised child until they were senior citizens. Joseph, he was entirely lonely an entire decade as a slave and prisoner until he was finally reunited with his family. Moses toiled as a lowly shepherd for 40 years in a wilderness before he got the call to ministry at 80 years old. Ruth had endured the loss of every man in her family She had moved to a foreign country. She had experienced years of poverty until the Lord finally introduced her to Boaz. After his anointing, King David is on the run for over ten years before he comes walking in his divine purpose and calling as king of Israel. You see, each one of those characters I just read to you faced difficult circumstances over different time periods. They waited and waited and waited on the Lord's timing. The pattern continued throughout the New Testament as well. In fact, Jesus tells his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, he said, It is not for you to know the times or the epochs of which the Father has fixed in his own authority. Jesus said, We can't understand the Father's time. You see, the biblical perspective remembers God is working on heavenly time scale, not earthly time scale. And finally, we understand that problems help us recognize how flawed We really are our failures. He concludes this passage in Psalms 119, 176. Lord, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Find me, seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments.
Though Psalms 119 is completed, the psalmist must live, continue to live in the fallen world. Just because we feel like things in our lives may be completed doesn't mean we still don't live in a fallen world. For 176 verses, the psalmist in Psalms 119 has shown us how and why we can delight in the word of the Lord. It is our treasure. It is our source of hope. It is our light in a dark world. It is our promise of a future. It is the whole journey and message of life. In fact, I believe the motto verse that encompasses everything and we have studied over the last few weeks is found back in the very second verse of Psalms 119. I believe this is the motto. How blessed are those who observe his word and who will seek him with their whole heart. Amen. Don't forget our services this week. Sunday morning, Sunday school at nine, uh, 10 a.m. Morning worship at 11 a.m. Don't forget to start inviting people to Vacation Bible School. Uh, June the 13th through the 16th, 7 to 9 p.m. Right here on our campus. We're doing a theme this year called God's Story. God's Story. So you want to be a part of that. If you're willing to volunteer, please see Sisters uh, Jennifer Wyatt. And she'll give you more information so we can get your t-shirt size and everything ordered. So let me pray with you tonight before we're dismissed. May the word of our mouth, meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord our God and blessed Redeemer. God, may you bless us and keep us and your face shine upon us. Be gracious to us and lift up your countenance upon us. Give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. Guard our hearts till your return. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Don't forget I love you. I'm praying for you. And remember to hold on to the hope that lies within you. Hold on, pandemic's end. We'll see you Sunday. God bless you.